morning. Another wonderful day, another beautiful day that the Lord has spared us and gave us another opportunity to come together to worship Him in spirit and in truth. We are so thankful for your presence and especially those with us. Thank you for coming our way and we hope that you'll come back and be with us at every opportunity that you may have. We have those that are watching online as well and we're are thankful for them and for their ability to be able to be with us as well during our time of worship. As what was read just a few moments ago by Brother Rob, here in John chapter 18 and verse 28 and following, we find that Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate. And in this context, of course, Jesus is being offered and tried until ultimately giving his life for all of mankind. Jesus announced to Pilate in the long ago that his kingdom was not of this world, there in verse 36. He further then said that he came to bear witness to the true, to the truth, and that spawned a question by Pilate, which is the title of our sermon this morning, when Pilate asked that question, what is truth? That's a good question, isn't it? It's an important question. What is it? And so this morning we want to talk about truth. What is it? What does the Bible have to say about the truth that was asked by Pilate some 2,000 years ago? Let me begin by giving you the, the definition of truth, if you will. When we talk about truth, there are a lot of people in the world that want to know just what is truth. What does it mean when we say this is truth? Well, in John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The scriptures are truth. Now, there are a lot of terms that are used to describe the truth other than scripture. For example, in Isaiah 40 and verse 8, Isaiah said in the long ago, speaking of truth, he said, but the word of our God shall stand forever. It's the word of our Lord. It's the word of God. Jesus, of course, in Luke 8 and verse 11, talked about the seed of the kingdom and he identified it, that is the seed, as the word of God. In Ephesians 1, verse 13, it's called the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The gospel of your salvation, if you will. And then in 1 Peter 1, 25, it is identified as the word of the Lord. Those are terms that equate to truth. And so when we talk about scripture, we need to understand scripture is truth. The gospel is is truth. The word of God is truth. The word of our Lord is truth. Now let's talk for a minute, if you will, about the source of truth. Where did truth originate? Who is the originator of what we might call truth or what the scripture calls truth? Well, Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, in verse 16, he said that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of God. 
And so scripture is given by inspiration of God. Scripture is inspired by God. So God is the author of scripture, isn't he? God is the one that has given unto us this book that we call the Bible, the word of God. And every book in that scripture, every book is the word of God. It was written by about 40 men, inspired men, over a period of 1,600 years. And we have the 66 books of the Bible today, 39 of the Old Testament books and 27 of the New Testament books. Every book in it is scripture. Every book is the word of God. So the source is almighty God, isn't it? That being almighty God. Peter would say in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved or borne along by the Holy Spirit. That prophecy did not originate with man. Mankind did not come up with scripture of his or her own, but rather it originated with Almighty God. He said, holy men of God spake as they were literally born along. They wrote down the truth as it was told to them, as it was revealed to them. In Ephesians 3, verse 3, he talks about how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I have wrote afore in few words. And so the words of Scripture are the commandments of God and those equate to the word of Almighty God. There is a third thing that we notice, and that is the sufficiency of the Scripture. Did you know that God has given unto us everything that he wants us to know? everything that he wants us to know as it relates in our relationship to him. Listen again to what Paul said. All scripture, not just some, not just a few, not what we pick and what, no, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed, theonoustos, inspired of God and is profitable for doctrine, teaching, tells us what's right. For reproof, tells us what's wrong. For correction, tells us how to make it right when we've gone wrong. For instruction in righteousness, how to keep it right once you get it right. So that the man of God, that you and I, may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Do you think that God just haphazardly just made this? He did it as he relates to you and me in this world and wants us to be directed in the right direction. And so the word of God has the ability to make us complete. It instructs, it guides, it corrects, it reproves, it helps us to stay on that straight and narrow pathway, Matthew 7 and verse 14. Now in 2 Peter 1, 3, Peter said, that God as he is, as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Everything that we need to know about life and godly living has been revealed to us in scripture. When we talk about the all sufficiency of the word of God, listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 119 and 105, 
when he says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That says God's word gives us light for direction, guidance, leads us in the right way. It also guards us. It also helps us to be what God would have us to be. And so we talked about the definition of truth, what is true. But then secondly, what about the design of truth? Did God have an objective in mind when giving us his truth? I think he did. I, I think there's a reason of why we have what we call the Bible, the Holy Bible. When we talk about the Old Testament, why is the Old Testament pertinent to Christian living? Why do I need the Old Testament? Why do I need to read the Old Testament? Well, Paul said in, in Romans 15, 4, he said, for whatsoever things that were, were written aforetime were written for our learning, right? That we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And so we understand that the Old Testament is a benefit to me. But we live today under the new covenant, that is the new agreement, the new testament under the law of Christ. And we learn about that in Galatians 6 and verse 2. But it's called the perfect law of liberty in James 1 and, and verse 25. And so as we think about the design of truth and the objective that God had in mind, let's talk for a minute about the aim of truth. This is the design, the aim of truth. Let, we begin by saying that the intent of the truth is that we would build our lives around it. That it is literally the foundation upon which we ought to build our lives Upon, Do you remember in Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus talked about those wise and foolish builders there in verses 24 through 27. Do you remember that he said that the wise builder was a wise man, that when the rains came and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not because it was solid, founded, built, upon a solid, sure, steadfast foundation that is the rock, right? What Jesus was saying here is that the wise man is one who hears the word of God. He's listening to the word of God and he obeys it. He heeds it. He then said that the foolish man was foolish when he built his house upon the sand because when the rains came and the floods came and the winds blew, and it fell, and great was the fall of that house. What Jesus was trying to emphasize here is this, that when we build on the truth of God, when we hear what he has said and follow it, then we are deemed wise in his sight. Otherwise, we're foolish. If we ignore the teaching of Scripture, then we will have catastrophic problems. Let me just say this. When we talk about the ultimate goal, the ultimate aim of Scripture is to save you. You see, God is interested in people. God wants people to be saved, to have salvation. Now, Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, 4, that God would have all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. You see, there's this correlation, if you will, in Scripture and salvation. You can't be saved if you don't know the truth. 
Jesus said, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, John 8, 32. When Paul wrote to the saints in Rome, he said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There's a correlation. You preach the gospel, you teach the gospel, and people hear it, and they obey it. And when they obey it, what happens? They enjoy salvation. All because of what? All because of the scripture. And so the gospel is intended to save us. That's the design of the gospel. That's the design of the truth. God wants us to be saved, and then he wants us to stay saved. And so the intent of truth, the aim of truth is to save, but it also, truth sanctifies. Listen again to what Jesus said in John 17, 17. He said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. That word sanctify means to be set apart. When we obey the gospel, we are set apart from the world and we belong to God. When you decided to become a New Testament Christian, God said, you belong to me, lock, stock, and barrel. You don't belong to anybody else, but to him. You are mine, he says, much like the firstborn under the old covenant, under the law of Moses. Today, we as Christians are the firstborn. We are the church of the firstborn. And the Hebrew writer said, was saying there is that we belong to almighty God, where we have been sanctified, where we have been set apart from the world unto God. We belong to God. And thus we are to live in such a way that brings glory, honor unto God. So God's word saves us. It sanctifies us. But notice this. Truth supports us. When I think about the intent of this book, I said that the intent is to save us and to keep us saved, right? But this book is really guided to guide and to regulate every facet of our lives. Did you know that one, one of the reasons why our society is literally upside down is because we have said that we are no longer interested in this book any longer? That's what it is. People have gotten to that point in this time in life that when you look at our world today, you look at the problems that we have in this country, the problems we're having in this uh, nation, is this society. It's all because we have left out the Word of God, and thus we have left out God in our lives. When I was young and in elementary school, and yes, I went to elementary school, we actually had daily Bible readings. We would have prayer. We had the Pledge of Allegiance. We at least had a weekly Bible class. And when I was in high school, we had a Bible class about the Bible. Although it was taught by Baptists. But we had a class about the Bible. So we had some good discussions. We said the Pledge of Allegiance every day. We had prayer every day. What happened? They decided that it wasn't God because it would be hard on those who didn't believe in God or those who believed in pagan gods 
like Allah for the Muslims in the Islamic religion. We have removed God in many facets of our lives and in many facets of our government as well. We have removed God. Here's my question. How is that working out? It's not working, is it? Our society is a mess because we have said, we don't need this book. We don't need the Bible. We can handle things on our own. Look at the home today. Did you know that as the home goes, so goes the nation? If the home is in a disarray, I guarantee you the nation will be in a disarray as well. We've talked about how truth supports. I think about marriage. Marriage is identified in Scripture as that which is between a man and a woman. Nothing else. God said that what he had joined together, let no man put asunder, Matthew 19, 6. God has said that parents are to rear their children in the Lord, Ephesians 6, 4. But many homes are broken. Mamas and daddies are not teaching the truth of the scriptures. It could be even grandmas and grandpas are not teaching their grandchildren scripture, the truth of the scriptures. Mommies and daddies are not commanding respect or obedience in the home. And so what is the consequence of that? Look at our society. Look at our nation. Look at the problems that our school system is even having. Look at the shootings that are going on in our schools and elsewhere. We didn't have that when I was growing up. I, I, I drove a pickup truck to, to, to high school. I had a gun rack in my truck for my gun, right? But I would never even thought about taking that thing inside the school. Not in any way. There has to be a correlation somewhere. We talk about how truth supports. Do you have problems with your marriage? Go to the scriptures. Do you have problems with your children? The child rearing process? Go to the scriptures. Commanding respect and obedience. Go to the scriptures. Do you have problems on the job? Go to the scriptures. You got problems with other people? Go to the scriptures. I think about how difficult life is. There are a lot of things that we could say about life. And one of the things that is a given is that life is tough. It is tough. But the tough get going, don't they? You can't make it alone in this life. You need God and you need His Word. The Scriptures are intended to support us. Think about what the psalmist did many years ago. He said, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. The psalmist also in the long ago said that this is my comfort and my affliction, for thy word has quickened me. Psalm 46, 1, Psalm 119, 50. Think about the people that have been tried and tested and tempted. Think about our people in our world today. Think about the people in the church. People that are experiencing pain and sorrow. Their lives are literally upside down. And yet they can go to Scripture to find comfort and hope. That's why truth supports us. But truth also strengthens us. When I think about going out into the world, I need to arm myself. I need to be able to withstand the advances of the world and the devil, 
things that are going on in the world as we were talking about in class this morning, class on Wednesday night. That's why Paul said that the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Ephesians 6, 17. God's Word is a defense mechanism. God's Word helps me to stay strong and fit spiritually. Peter talks about growing in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How am I going to be spiritually strong if I don't know this book? How? When Jesus was met with temptation by the devil in Matthew 4, Luke 4, Jesus responded three times by saying, It is written. It is written. Satan, don't you understand? It is written. The psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119.11 And so we take the word of God, we make application and we derive spiritual strength from it. But then there's another thing that we notice here that truth will secure, secure you. There's a security in other words. Here's a question in this world. Can we say that life is 100% foolproof? <laughs> that you have a 100% security in this life? Can you say that? Did you know that you can have the best alarm system? You can be very cautious. You can do a lot of things to ensure your safety. But the bottom line is, is that you can't be absolutely sure that you're going to be safe always. You can't. But spiritually speaking, you can be secure. You can be absolutely sure of your security in Christ. In 1 John 5, 11 through 13, John said, and this is the record that God has given to, unto us, eternal life, and that life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. They, these things have I written unto you that you believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Can I be secure in my relationship to Almighty God? You betcha. And I'm not a gambling man. But you know you can. If I've been baptized into Christ and I'm living according to the will of God. If I'm walking in the light. Then I have the assurance that I'm saved. And that I'm heaven bound. Isn't that wonderful? If anything happens to me here on planet earth, I'm going to be with the Lord. That's security. From where does that security come? It comes from knowing this book divine. And so the aim of truth. And then very quickly, the absolutes of truth. There are a lot of folks that say truth is relative. Or they, they say there's no such thing as absolute truth. Well, whatever you, whatever you believe to be truth to you is truth for you, but it's not truth for me. How can you say that? Who decides what's true or false? That's my question. Where do you go to decide what might be true for you, but not true for me? And yet, truth is absolute. Is there an ultimate standard of right and wrong? You know, there are some people who say, well, that we don't have a standard. We don't have a guide. I say we do. We have a standard. We have a guide. And it will lead us in the right direction if only that rule, we allow that rule to govern us. 
A lot of folks in our world today say you can't know truth. That there's just no way you can know it. But Jesus said you can know the truth and it can set you free, John 8, 32. Well, either that person that says you can't know truth is a liar or Jesus is a liar. We know that Jesus doesn't lie. Paul said, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, Ephesians 3, 4. So we can know the truth. There are basic fundamental truths that emphasize this. Jesus died for our sins, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Can you understand that? I can. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16, 16. That's easy to understand. A 12-year-old, 6th grader can understand that. We can understand the truth, but what about this idea of absolute truth? Is there a divine standard? Does the government have the right to say what that standard is? Are they the, the ones that make the laws and, okay, and say, okay, this is right, this is wrong? We better not trust the government in all things. The government... Government may enact laws that coincide with Scripture, but they also may enact laws that conflict with Scripture. How about abortion? Since 1973, Roe v. Wade, millions upon millions of abortions were taking place in this country. Yes, indeed, the Supreme Court has now deemed it back away from the nation, back to the states. Now there are certain states that will still allow the abortions up to certain points. Does it still doesn't make it right, does it? There are still abortions taking place in this country. While the Bible says that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made in Psalm 139.14, God places a premium on human life. We talk about the sanctity of human life. The government at that time says, oh, it's okay to abort the fetus. The Bible says it's not okay. The Bible says it's murder. So what's the truth? Well, you better side with Scripture. Because I'll grant you on Judgment Day that truth's going to come out. And you're going to go, oh, I missed that one. No, you didn't. You made a choice. And it was the wrong choice. Solomon said that God hates the hands of those who shed innocent blood. Proverbs six seventeen, And that's true. In Hebrews 5, 14, the writer talks about the importance of knowing the truth and growing as a Christian. It is just one of the byproducts of growing as a Christian that we might be able to discern between right and wrong, good and evil, truth and error. So what's that standard? It's truth. And Pilate said, what is truth? That was a profound question because there are a lot of people in our world today that grapple with this idea of truth. But what we need to understand is that truth is absolute. What God has said stands, and it's the final voice. It is the authority, and we're going to be judged by it. It trumps any and every law, whatever that law might be. There's a third thing that we notice, and that's the duration of truth. When we talk about Scripture, it's final. This is, as the Hebrew writer acknowledged in the long ago, it's the last will and testament of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9, 15 through 17. He said in Hebrews 1 and verse 2, the, the writer said that God has spoken us, unto us through his son in these last days. 
The last days is simply a reference to the Christian age, the age that we now live in. We have the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. He will govern us and govern us and govern our lives. When we talk about the fact that scripture is final, listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 1989. He said, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. When you look at the Old and New Testaments, we need to understand that God's word, it's complete. There are no latter day revelations, modern day revelations. Everything that we need to know is right here in this book. And by the way, I don't have a right to tamper with this book in any way. I'm not at liberty to alter or modify what is called scripture. In Revelation 22, 18 and 19, John said, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. And we know contextually he was talking about that particular book. But if you look at scripture as a whole, the idea runs throughout the, both the Old and New Testament. We're not at liberty to add or take away from God's holy word. And so scripture is complete, it's final. But then we also notice that scripture as we know it will last forever. Think about life as we know it, the here and now. We ask this question, do you know of anything this side of eternity that will transcend into eternity? Do you know anything like that? Can you take your house with you? Can you take your automobile with you? No. What about your clothing, your money? No. Is there anything you can take with you to eternity? Not one thing. But there is one thing that will transcend, that will go into eternity. You know what it is? It's your soul. It's your soul. But did you know that the word of God will transcend into eternity? The Bible? That the scriptures are forever? Isaiah said in Isaiah 40 and verse 8, the word of our God shall stand forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Matthew 24, 35. Here's the plain truth. We're all going to stand before God in judgment. Revelation 20, verse 12. John saw the, the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were open. Do you know what books he's talking about? He's talking about the Old and New Testament books. You know, those who lived under the patriarchal will be judged under that law. Those who lived under the law of Moses will be judged according to that law. Those who lived under the New Testament law, the law of Christ, will be judged according to that law. That's you and me. John said that the books were opened. He goes on to say, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to the works. With that in mind, here are some questions. Number one, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? If your answer is yes, but you haven't obeyed the gospel, why? What are you waiting if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, why haven't you done something about it? 
Why haven't you responded to the gospel? Have you been baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins? If you say yes, that's wonderful. If your answer is no, why? Why are you waiting? Is it not the case that scripture tells us we need to believe that Jesus is the son of God? Not was, is. That we also need to be willing to be immersed in water so that our sins can be washed away. If your answer is yes, then that's wonderful. If not, why not? Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. A third question, is your life in harmony with what this book teaches? If you say yes, that's great. It needs to be. But if your answer is no, why? What are you waiting for? Listen, this book is going to be open one day. God's not going to judge you on the basis of human opinion, to judge you on the basis of what you think or what I think or what somebody else thinks. He's not going to judge us on the basis of what our government has dictated. He's going to judge us according to his word, to this book. Are you walking in the light? Does your life measure up to this book? If not, why? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting on? Are you living faithfully day in and day out? If God were to examine your life in light of this book, would you measure up? Somebody says, well, well, I'm not perfect. Well, neither am I. But we're striving for that perfection. We're not perfect, but we have the blood of Christ at work. And as long as we are striving to do our best, John said that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all our sin. That's a promise based on 1 John 1, 7. But if we're not giving our best, if we're not living as we should live, then we are skating on thin ice. And guess what? That's real problems. Because you're going to skate a hole right into that ice and you're going to fall through. Do you understand what you need to do? To either become a child of God, a Christian, a New Testament Christian, living in accordance to the book, the Bible, God's Word, God's Holy Word, if not, why not? And if you're already a New Testament Christian, but you haven't living in accordance to the book, God's word, why? Come back. Be restored back to that first love. We're here to pray for you. And we'll pray with you as well. We're about to sing a song of encouragement, number 514. I believe it's what will your answer be? That's my question. Together we stand and sing.